Y'all can have a seat. Well, church, it is just so good to be back together. I'm looking around and I see some kids in the uh, uh, congregation today. I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, last weekend, my wife was out of town and I had the uh, pleasure of getting four children ready for church on my own. And uh, man, God bless every one of you who gets children ready for church. It is a special uh, special blessing. Uh, so last weekend when my wife was out of town, she asked me, hey, uh, you know, honey, I'm going out of town for a couple of days. There's a few things that, you know, if you have time, it'd be great for you to get these done. I would love to have these done before I get back. And of course, I really love my wife. So my first thought is, yes, absolutely. Then the rubber meets the road and I got to decide, like, you know, I could just wait until the last day. She's coming back tomorrow. Or am I going to get on this right away and make sure that it gets done? And I've you know, learn and some, some grow uh, in my life. And I'm like, I'm going to get on this. I love my wife. I want to make sure these things get done. And so I got to them right away. I remember the time when I was in high school, I was an only child. And so my mom left for a couple of days. Uh, my dad was out of town. I was home alone for the weekend by myself, junior, senior in high school. That's like, well, who? I can decide what I want to do, how late I stay out. I mean, this is a, you know, but my mom said, hey, there's a few things I need you to do. And she ran her own business, and one of those things was to take a giant stack of checks and deposit them at the bank. She said to me, this is really important that you get this done, and I didn't do it. So you can imagine when my mom comes back, like, hey, uh, did you deposit those checks? And sees them sitting on the counter. Uh, oh, there's going to be a great con consequence to that. Now, thankfully, nothing bounced. Nothing, like, it was all good. But it just reminded me, like, man, I... I've grown a lot since I was a junior in high school, and uh, all of you are saying I should hope so. But the reality is, I started thinking a little bit more uh, further into that, like how many of us treat our faith like that? When God has entrusted something to you, when God has given you something, and do I get right on that? I love the Lord. I want to, this is my top priority. I'm going to get this done. Or is it sort of like, you know what? That could probably wait till tomorrow. I've got some more important things. You can turn to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, we're going to open in, in verse 14, Matthew 25, 14. This is the parable of the talents. And we are continuing in our series uh, studying the parables. And just by way of reminder, a parable, uh, as we learned last week, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. See, Jesus Christ used these parables. He used these fictional stories to illustrate heavenly things. I need something concrete to understand something abstract. There are times at which when I'm seeking to understand the kingdom of God that I need something in my own experience so that I can then understand this thing that is more complicated and can't be understood without the Spirit's help. So Jesus Christ is teaching in parables and my guess is that as we come to the parable of the talents, many of you have heard this parable before. Many of you have studied this. Maybe you've heard messages on it. There are some of you who could even come up here and teach it, I'm sure. But the question is not, do I understand it? Can I summarize it? Can I teach it? The question is, am I living it? And that's where we're going to start today. Let's open it a word of prayer. Lord, we are so grateful for your word. Uh, Lord, this is a tremendous story that is either encouraging or challenging, and I pray that it would be both. And Lord, as we open your word, I pray that you would help us to understand it first, but to apply it and live it out increasingly. Lord, we know that we can't do that without the conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. We can't do it by trying harder, but 
when you convict, we can obey in your power. And so we pray that that's true today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you haven't heard this, this is a story, uh, Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents, where uh, a rich man has a bunch of stuff, and uh, he's the master, and he, he's going away on a journey, and so he entrusts many of his resources to some servants, and then he comes back. And we're going to see how those servants handled the resources that this master entrusted to them. But before we dive in and start reading the, the, uh, the words of Scripture, I want you to understand the context of Jesus' teaching. If you're an English teacher or if you've ever like, studied biblical interpretation, you know context is really important, and it can reveal some things to us about the teaching, about our understanding. And so uh, as we look at this, this teaching in, is from the last week of Jesus Christ's life prior to his crucifixion. So if you see this graphic here, you'll see that on the third day of the week, that would have been a Sunday of this final week of Christ's life, you see him coming in the triumphal entry and this crowd recognizing him as uh, the king of Israel. Now, they didn't quite get that he would be savior. There was some misunderstanding. The crowd that celebrated would eventually turn, and you see that towards the end of the week. But the, the next day, he is cursing the fig tree. He's cleansing the temple, all things that are uh, speaking to the kingdom of God to come. And then uh, the day of conflict comes where the Pharisees and the Sadducees are trying to catch him and say, oh, well, what about this and what about that? And they're trying to trick him into saying something that's not true. And everybody's amazed by his teaching. And then he goes away to the Mount of Olives that uh, later in that second part of that day, and he gathers his disciples and he teaches them. And he specifically teaches them about the kingdom of God that is to come. And the final parable in that teaching is this one. It's interesting to think that Jesus Christ is about to teach a story about a master going away and a master returning. And he's going to teach this parable about the coming kingdom of God within 48 hours of the Last Supper. Right after that, he would be crying out at the Garden of Gethsemane. Then he'd be betrayed, tried, and crucified, and buried, all within 24 hours. So within 72 hours of Christ teaching this story to his disciples, he would be in a tomb. And of course, we know that's not the end of the story. As we see the next uh, comes the resurrection, he spends some time with his disciples. So essentially, within a month and a half of him teaching this, he would go away. He would levy the Great Commission, and then he would ascend, which comes in Acts chapter 1. And I bring this up not to, wow, that's interesting information. But the recognition of this place in Christ's life should bring urgency to this teaching. To recognize that this was the last parable he taught, perhaps with those next few days in his mind should bring an urgency to our obedience to it. And so that's what we're going to focus on today, not trying to necessarily just understand and walk away with, oh yeah, that was great, I now understand the parable of the talents. The question is, are we walking away increasing in obedience 
to the lessons that Jesus Christ is trying to teach us. Turn to chapter 25, if you haven't already, starting in verse 14. It says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey. That's it, would be the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants. His servants, those who follow him, those who uh, are serving the master. And entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his abilities. Then he went away. So three servants serve the master. Uh, they are entrusted with his resources. They are stewards. They don't own it. They're not originators. They aren't creating this. They are in, given these resources by the master, each of them differently. One guy was given five. One guy was given two. First time I read this, is like, why does he hate the guy with one? You start to understand what a talent actually was. A talent was between 60 and 80 pounds of silver. That's like 20 years wages. So if any of you all are thinking like, hey, I'd like to give Brian a talent, I'm like, Psh. right? Like, the guy who only got one didn't get gypped. These are substantial resources. This is quite an entrustment. This is a huge investment. And if we're to apply this and not just understand it, not to know it, but live by it, then we must, number one, assess what Jesus Christ has entrusted to you. That's the first step in any obedience is to assess what Jesus Christ has entrusted to you in the same way that this master entrusted resources of substantial value to his servants. Jesus Christ has entrusted resources of substantial value to you, his followers. And I love it because that makes us stewards. We don't own things. We don't originate things. I cannot create something from nothing. The only things of value I have are things that Jesus Christ has given to me. That's what a steward is. And in this passage, the talents represent the totality of all that Jesus Christ has entrusted to you. The totality of everything that he's given to you. I love the words here, uh, original and obtained. So when you think about all the things that Jesus Christ has entrusted to you, you can't just think about all the things that you've gained. Some of you were born tall. You had nothing to do with that. Some of you were born athletic. Some of you were born intelligent. Those are all things that were original to you. But there are also things obtained. Some of you have gathered skills and abilities. You've grown talents. You've leveraged your original abilities and original and obtained and natural and spiritual. It says in 1 Corinthians and other places in Scripture that uh, when you come to Christ, you are given a spiritual gift in order to serve the body of Christ. So each of you has both natural abilities and spiritual abilities. These are things that Jesus Christ has entrusted to you. It's your height and the gospel. It's your bank account and your ability to connect and love other people. It is the totality of everything that Jesus Christ has entrusted to you. None of it is yours. None of it belongs to you. All of it is a trust. 
So the question becomes, what has Jesus Christ entrusted to you? I want you to see that this trust is individual. See, it says that each was given according to his ability. All of it is substantial. But sometimes we get so focused on like, oh, I don't have what he has or I don't have what she has. No one gets picked last for God's kickball team. No one's like, oh, I got picked last. This is all substantial, but each of it is unique. So I want you to consider what Jesus Christ has entrusted to you. You can pull out a sheet of paper. You can write it in the margin of your Bible. You can pull out your phone however you want to. But at the top of the page, write down what Jesus has entrusted to me. Draw a line under it and make a list. It's a worthwhile endeavor to think about, to pause and reflect. Say, what is it that Jesus Christ has entrusted to me? And it may be the same things. It may be completely unique. But Jesus Christ has entrusted things to you. So what are they? If it's helpful, we can think about some categories. You might think about the category of time. The margin that I had this week was a trust. I don't know how many more days I might get, but you would also think about the years of your life or the years of your life in Christ. Some of you accepted Christ at a very early age, and so God has given you a great gift of a lifetime of following Christ. Some of you have accepted Christ later in life, and while that may be different, it's what God has given to you. You might think about the talents that Christ has given to you. Time and talents, the spiritual gifts that he's given you. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture is Nehemiah chapter eight, verse four. And Nehemiah has just spent all this time, rallied all these resources, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And Ezra is gonna come and he's going to proclaim the word of God at the wall. I mean, man, that would have been amazing. And it says in Nehemiah chapter eight, verse four, and he stood on a wooden platform made for the occasion. And it's so easy to skip right past that. Who made the wooden platform? What was his name? We have no idea. But somebody had the ability to work with wood. They knew how to use a hammer. I don't think they had electric drills back then, but knew how to construct something, and they built this platform, and Ezra was obedient, and they were obedient, and Ezra proclaims the word of the Lord, and if you keep going in that passage, the people fell down on their faces and worshiped. Some of you have the ability to work with wood. You know how to use a nail. You know how to sheetrock and drywall. It's the same thing. I don't know why I just said that. Clearly, I do not. There's all sorts of physical skills and talents that you have. That is a trust given to you by Jesus Christ. And you might also consider the category of your treasure. And the first thing we go to is bank account, money, and that is absolutely true. And I'm so grateful for uh, the challenging message uh, that Pastor Mark preached last week on uh, being a good steward and how we ought to leverage and use our financial resources. But it's also your house and your living room and your vehicles and your backyard and the food that you've, like all of that. How are we using that? What has Christ given to us? 
And it's a really worthwhile exercise to pause and think about what Christ has given to us because of what comes next. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with him. I love that. Is there any wonder that the guy was given five talents? He went at once. There's like, I'm not waiting until tomorrow. I've got these five talents at once. I'm going to get to it. He went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But the one who had received the one talent went and dug them in... (laughs) He who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Which brings us to our second point of how we're going to apply and live this. Number one is assess what Jesus Christ has entrusted to you. Number two, leverage it fully and faithfully for Jesus Christ. The servant who was entrusted with five went at once. The servant who was entrusted with two also went and they received a return. Meanwhile, the servant who was entrusted with one did nothing. He hid it, he buried it, went about the rest of his life. We don't know how long the master was away. We don't know if there was any warning to his return. But we do know what each of these servants did with what they were entrusted with. I so quickly want to get to the results. I'm like, oh, let's see what happens. But I want to pause on this. And I think it's really important because before we get to the results, and we'll see that the five-talent servant and the two-talent servant would be called faithful. The one-talent servant, not so much. But I want to pause on this because this is where we live. We live in the gap between then he went away and verse 19, now he came back. It's in this gap between Christ's going and his coming that we find ourselves today. It's in the gap between his ascension and his return or that moment where he calls you to himself that we have decisions to make, that we have work to do. And once Christ returns or once he calls you to himself, everything you've decided and everything you've done will be locked. It's in this gap between then he went away and then he returned that we have to leverage what he's entrusted to us fully and faithfully for him. As I was trying to think through a word that describes how the five-talent servant and the two-talent servers used their stuff, the word that came to mind is leverage. And that word, uh, as we're using this morning, means to use something for its maximum advantage. They leveraged it. That's where we get the leverage it fully. You can see that they didn't just kind of putter around with it and think that, well, maybe this will be good enough. They went after it. You can see it in the returns that they got. To use something to its maximum advantage, 100% return on investment, we see that the servant with one talent did not. The word that the master would use to describe these is faithful. These were faithful 
servants. Those who leverage their entrustments are called faithful. Now, I have a little problem with the word faithful as it's used in church. Let me show you what I mean. So this is an image of, like, when I think of faithfulness in the church, this is like an image that we would use. Or like, it would be like a sunset, and we'd be like, the, 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 like the sun right here. You know, like, it's a beautiful picture. And I think that that's, like, I love sunsets. I spent some time at the beach, and it's beautiful, God's creation. That is impactful to my soul. But that's not faithfulness. You look at those flowers, and that's so pretty. Y'all know those flowers are going to be dead in like three days, right? What's faithful about that? That's just emotional, and it looks good. This is a better example of the word faithfulness. Faithfulness is not an emotion. Faithfulness is dependably, reliably, continually, responsibly bringing about the desired results. Faithfulness is prolonged, consistent obedience. Faithfulness is not usually always pretty. It's not a feeling that I get. Faithfulness is that bridge that was built back in the 50s that is super ugly today, but is going to carry my kids, kids, kids in 100 years when they're driving over it in their space cars. That's faithfulness. Prolonged, tested, tried, and every single time, faithfulness is returning what it was supposed to. So the example here that we're supposed to follow is of the five talent and the two talent servants to faithfully and fully leverage your entrustments for Jesus Christ. So I really wanted to come up with some great illustration or some, uh, uh, I was grasping at, like, how can I put handlebars to this? I want to understand as we're talking through this this morning, like, Think of some people that have done this, or maybe a list. I was really struggling to find a spot. Like, what, what is a great example of this? Even the pastor could tell you, like, on Thursday, I'm like, I, I'm not feeling it. We have some ideas, but nothing's just really gripping me. And yesterday, uh, I was uh, sitting on the back porch. Uh, my wife was out doing something, and uh, I'm sitting there, and my kids are playing in the backyard, soccer, otherwise known as just bickering and arguing at each other with a ball. Um, and my daughter is so like peacefully sitting there just like reading a book. And uh, I'm just like, Lord, I, I, help me with this. And uh, I really believe it was the, the, the spirit moving me in a direction. And um, it happened on Facebook of all places, which is like the only good thing that's ever happened from Facebook. Um, and I, I came across uh, this story of this woman. And uh, her name is Gladys Allward. And perhaps you've heard of her. I hadn't to my great shame. But I was reading her story, and I, it wasn't even about the sermon, I was just reading this, and I'm like moved to tears, which doesn't usually happen, and the, of just the great faith in some of the things that she said, I was like, yes, I want to be her. She was born in 1902, passed away in 1970. She was a British woman, had a heart for God, and people uh, was turned down uh, by a foreign mission society because of her old age, 26. 
uh, her small stature and her difficulty in learning the Chinese language. She's quoted as saying, Why, God, did you have to make me so small and give me such dark, straight hair? Why couldn't you have made me different than this, beautiful and acceptable to others? I can feel that insecurity. She was determined and recognized that if she's going to make it to China, it's going to be because she paid her own way. So she found work as a housemaid for a retired missionary couple. She grew in her faith at their stories. And it was here in an upper room that she laid down her worn Bible and a few coins on top and cried out, Oh God, here's my Bible. Here's my money. Here's me. Use me. So in spite of her rejection, she funded her own way to China, the cheap way, which meant taking innumerable trains and steamers across land through Siberia over to Japan. Or, I mean, the story of just her getting there is a story of faithfulness. And as she arrived in the port of China, she found a sea of tiny women with black hair. She would spend the rest of her life serving Jesus Christ in China. She became a national citizen of the Republic of China. She was a revered figure through some incredible circumstances. She took in orphans, started an orphanage, adopted several herself. She uh, intervened in some prison riots and advocated for reform. She risked her life many, many times to help those in need. In fact, in 1938, the region that she lived in was invaded by Japanese forces and uh, Alward led more than 100 orphans from age 4 to 16 um, for 27 days across the mountains and down to the Yellow River so that they could find safety by herself. As I was reading her story, I said I was overcome multiple times. I tried to read this to my daughter, and I like, got choked up. She had this to say about her service. I wasn't God's first choice for the work I've done in China. I don't know who it was. It must have been a man, a well-educated man. I don't know what happened. Perhaps he died. Perhaps he wasn't willing. And God looked down and saw Gladys Allward. And God said, well, she's willing. Gladys had every reason to say, well, those in the know said, I don't have what it takes. But Gladys was someone who pushed all of her chips into the middle of the table and said, Lord, it is all for you. Everything I've got for your name. So what are you doing with yours? When you look back on that list, those things that Jesus Christ has entrusted to you, what are you doing with it? Because the master is coming back. Number three, as we continue, expect accountability for your faithfulness. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. 
And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Sometimes we get all caught up in, well, I didn't get as much. Uh, even the guy who got the most got little compared to the master. Verse 22, and he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward. Master, I knew you to be a hard man. That's not a great start. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Uh, Kids in the room, people who have jobs, if you've ever not accomplished that which you've been told to do, don't start by blaming the authority. That's never going to go well. Verse 25, so I was afraid. See, it's a different entrustment, a different amount, but the response was the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. How badly do we want to hear that? So I want to just show you quickly as we conclude three clear truths from this parable about the coming accountability. And the first is this, you are entrusted or you are responsible for what God has entrusted to you. You see, the two-talent servant was not responsible for five talents in return. The five-talent servant was not responsible for ten talents in return. The five talent was responsible for five, for what the master had entrusted to him. The two talent was responsible for what the master had entrusted to him. You are responsible for what God has entrusted to you. You are not responsible for what God has entrusted to me. You are not responsible for what God has entrusted to your spouse or to your children or to your neighbor or to your boss. You are responsible for what God has entrusted to you because when you stand before Jesus Christ someday, you will do so as an individual. And the second thing here is that your blessing will be in proportion to your faithfulness. You'll see that those who are faithful are given a blessing. The five was five, the two was two. And then we see that no excuses will be accepted. Verse 25, so I was afraid because of you, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. I want you to note, the master has absolutely nothing good to say about the servant who allowed fear to keep him from obedience. The master has nothing good to say. In fact, we would like to think, well, He just did nothing with it. Therefore, the response ought to be neutral. The response is anything but. Jesus Christ does not have anything good to say about those of us who allow fear to keep us from obedience. And I recognize this is a time filled with fear and anxiety and uncertainty And that may mean obedience looks different than it did last year. 
but let it not lead us to inactivity. Lest we be called wicked and slothful. And then finally, you'll note, the penalty for doing nothing is severe. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. At least some return. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And the, cast the worthless servant. Faithful or worthless into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, Jesus Christ expects a profitable return on that which he's entrusted to you. So my question as we close today is this. If Jesus Christ returned today and you were standing before him and he asked, what have you done with that which I've given you? How would you answer him? As I look out at so many of you, I know there are those of you in the room who would rejoice at that day because Jesus Christ will say, well done, good and faithful servant. So this passage should bring some incredible encouragement to you. Well done. Keep going until that day comes. And some of you, as you think through what you would say standing in front of Jesus Christ, they're like, I have some good and I have some not so good. Let this be a moment where we push all of our chips into the center and say, Lord, whatever you want with this. And there are some of us that if we're being honest, would stand before Christ and we would have nothing to show for it. Let this be a warning. Christ is returning. But our motivation for following this should not be a desire for blessing, although that's good and worthy. And our motivation for this should not be a desire to avoid punishment. Because in both those circumstances, the focus is me and what I get. But if we're really to live this out, if we're really to push everything into the middle, it can't be about us at all. It has to be a desire to serve the king. A recognition that he is everything. Because what is it that I have in light of the master? And so we're going to take an opportunity to worship. We're going to come back to the song we already sang called All in All. And it's an opportunity to reflect on, is that actually true? Is Jesus Christ my all in all? Because if he is, then I want to do this so badly. And if he's not, that I'm 
filled with fear or what if I lose it or you know what, I'm going to build my own kingdom. And so this is an opportunity to reflect and to worship and proclaim Jesus Christ as truly all in all. Pray with me. Lord God, we are so grateful for your word and we worship you as most high. We are not here to build our kingdom. We're not even here to build an organization or a church. We're here to worship you and to build your kingdom of which we are blessed and honored to be a part. We pray these things in Jesus' name.